From the FJC in Washington, D.C., I'm Mark Sherman, and this is Off Paper. Today we're talking with Dr. Michael Siegel, Senior Education Specialist and longtime icon of leadership development here at the FJC, about where leadership training has been and where it is going. And we have to do it now, because after over 30 years of service to the federal judiciary, Michael has decided to retire. So not only are we going to pick his brain and squeeze every ounce of scholarship we can out of it, we're also going to celebrate his contributions and thank him for the difference he has made in many of our lives. Over the course of this episode of Off Paper, you'll hear from a number of Dr. Siegel's former Leadership Development Program students, and you won't want to miss the bonus track at the end. I'm excited to have Dr. Michael Siegel as my guest. Why am I excited about it? A few reasons. First, Dr. Siegel had a lot to do with my applying to work at the FJC. You see, in my past life as a college professor in D.C., Dr. Siegel came to speak to my students about the federal courts. He was good. So I invited him back and we became friends. Somewhere along the line, he mentioned a job opening at the FJC. It was early 1999, and I'd been thinking about making a career move. The FJC seemed like a good place for someone with my interests and experience, so I pursued the opportunity, and the rest is history. Second, I've gotten to serve with Dr. Siegel since that time as both a staff member in the Education Division and as a colleague involved with the training of U.S. Probation and Pretrial Services Officers, and it has been a very rich and rewarding experience personally and professionally. Finally, I'm excited to talk to Dr. Siegel because he has had a profound and meaningful impact on the culture of leadership in U.S. Probation and Pretrial Services, and in large part has defined it. In just a minute, he'll tell the story of how that came about. So who is this teacher of leaders? Well, let me start by telling you what he's done here at the FJC since he arrived in 1987 and who he has influenced. Over a thousand U.S. probation and pretrial services officers have graduated from the leadership development program he created in the mid-1990s. Out of the approximately 110 current chief U.S. probation and pretrial services officers, around 40 are graduates of the program. Of the chiefs who've retired from the system recently, about 50 graduated from the program. And that's just chiefs. Many current deputies, supervisors, and line officers are also graduates of the Leadership Development Program, which continues to this day and is now conducted under the auspices of the FJC's Management and Professional Development Education Team. Michael Siegel has had such an impact on the system that in U.S. probation and pretrial services circles, he's simply known widely and admiringly as Dr. Siegel. His reach extends well beyond probation and pretrial services. He's conducted leadership seminars with virtually every part of the court family, judges of all kinds, clerks of court, court executives, and the administrative office of the U.S. courts. His portfolio of programs and projects includes many other topics as well. The list is, frankly, too long to mention here, but I should note that Dr. Siegel has been the co-host of the FJC's podcast for executive leaders called In Session, Leading the Judiciary, which you should definitely check out. Dr. Siegel received his Ph.D. in political science from Tufts University and served as an Eli Lilly Endowment postdoctoral teaching fellow at Purdue University. He is an award-winning adjunct professor of government at American University and Johns Hopkins University. Dr. Siegel is the author of The President as Leader, published by Routledge in 2018, and has published over 15 professional journal articles on political science, leadership, and criminal justice. Because he's going to be retiring soon, 
This may be my last chance to get Michael Siegel to sit down with me in the FJC studios, virtual as they may be right now, to talk about leadership generally and specifically in U.S. probation and pretrial services. So folks, listen up, because the doctor is in. Dr. Michael Siegel, welcome to Off Paper. Thank you, Mark. It's such a pleasure to be here. And thanks for sharing those really lovely memories of our acquaintance and really rich relationship over many, many years. It's it's enriched me as, a, as much as it has you, believe me. You know, let's get right into it. And I want to begin by having you describe how the Leadership Development Program for U.S. Probation and Pre-Child Services Officers came about and how things unfolded. In the early 1990s, the Judicial Conference Criminal Law Committee, Committee on Criminal Law, looked ahead and noticed that many of the chief probation and pretrial services officers, they were scheduled to retire at around the same time. And so they asked the question, what are we doing to prepare new leaders? And they uh, approached the AO and the FJC with that question. And so we gathered a group of chiefs and AO officials, including Don Shamley, who at that time was the director of the probation pretrial operation at the AO. And we huddled and we talked about how can we fashion a program that would meet the needs of the future. We hear these days about leadership development in various sectors, and it's it's fairly common. But at that time, it was much less common. So I'm particularly curious, you know, to hear about how you all were thinking about leadership development, specifically within the federal judiciary, which is, a, as you know, a very unique institution. Yes. Yes, that's a great question. In fact, the federal judiciary, in many respects, I would say, is an inauspicious environment for leadership development. Let's think about it. The judiciary is largely based on precedent. Leadership, by its nature, needs to be forward-looking. The judiciary is quite hierarchical. Leadership, most people believe today, can come from anywhere. And I like your competency, everyday leadership, in this regard, in fact. Uh, The judiciary has many traditions, many procedures, In many respects, we would consider it hidebound. Leadership is creative, open, exploratory. Now, I should quickly add that the judiciary has shown a real capability to flex and to be innovative, and it has shown it dramatically during our recent pandemic, where the courts have done amazing things to keep themselves accessible to litigants. But in the 1990s, There wasn't so much flexibility and so much innovation. There was more tradition and hierarchy. And so we uh, looked at other programs and we uh, focused on a few commonalities that the best programs had. I do want to get into the process you used for developing the various components of the program. Absolutely. And I should add that the probation pretrial services system was very much and is very much a part of the judiciary and shares its culture. And at the time that we were looking, 
Mr. Shamley said it was a parochial system that we needed to look outward. And in fact, it was a very hierarchical system and it was dominated by white men in the leadership. So for all these reasons, it was propitious for us to look and say, how can we, how can we make it better? And we looked at programs in the public sector and the private sector, and we noted several commonalities of these programs. Number one, they focused on a cohort concept, the concept of a group of people that would travel through a program together, that would have a series of learning and growth activities that were in common and were in sequence with each other. This networking is tremendously powerful. And I'll never forget one of the probation officers saying to me, Dr. Siegel, as you said, I'm called. He said, uh, there's nothing like being in a group with 75 highly motivated people. It's just so refreshing. And so that's a large part of it is this networking and the cohort idea. Secondly, the leadership development programs that succeeded, we found, extended over a period of time. So most of them were between one and three years. And so that registered with us as something that was quite significant because, frankly, leadership development is a lifetime process, in my opinion. Third, these programs involved a variety of instructional activities and learning activities. They involved seminars. They involved uh, temporary duty assignments. They involved learning from mentors. They involved reading. They involved writing. So, yeah, there, were, there was a mix, a blend of activities, and this, I think, made them succeed. So out of this constellation, we designed our own program, which was basically going to be a three-year program, which would have a very rigorous application process, which would have very rigorous assignments and would have attached to each participant a faculty member who would read their assignments and give and give feedback. And by the way, those faculty were outside of the system. And they would also have a mentor to help them, to coach them in a career development kind of way. So this was the program we fashioned. And also it would have live seminars and we uh, we kicked it off with this with this design in mind. What you are describing is basically a graduate level kind of a program with the, that level of rigor. It was a sort of an innovative and groundbreaking thing. We're so used to it now, but really it was so unique uh, at the time. Um, I, I, so I wanted to ask you if you could kind of even drill down further and talk about the specific components of the program and, and sort of what were, what were the objectives of each of those components? I'm glad you mentioned the graduate level status because, in fact, we applied for uh, graduate credit and achieved it from the American Council on Education, and it speaks to the rigor of the program, as you said. So to, just to drill down a little bit, we have three major assignments, basically one a year. Uh, the first major assignment was to read some leadership literature and to interview some actual leaders. So they could do two public sector and one private sector leader, and they would interview these people and ask them how they developed their own leadership acumen and what they learned, what surprised them the most about being a leader, etc. 
these were very, very rich, and then they wrote a paper. The second project was to take something in their district, a program, a policy, a procedure, a practice, and improve it. Well, first study why it had to be improved empirically, doing more or less social science kind of research, getting stakeholder opinions, getting data, getting evidence, and then drafting a proposal to what they would do, and then doing it, and then writing a report about it that was, was read, again, by these outside faculty. For example, how to collect fines and restitutions, reforming or revising a search and seizure policy, supervising defendants addicted to heroin, maintaining effective practices for substance abuse supervision, a mobile supervision unit. These are these are just some examples of the kinds of programs they did, and and some resulted in cost savings, some resulted in better practices, and so forth. The uh, third major assignment asked participants to identify a location where they can observe leadership practices and then to write a report uh, based on those experiences as to what they learned and what could be applied to the judiciary and what could not be applied to the judiciary. And let me give you kind of an exam some examples of, of where people went. The clerk of the U.S. Supreme Court, the management of the Boston Red Sox, the management of Costco, the FBI intelligence unit in Sacramento, three U.S. senators and two members of Congress, mayor's office, county executive's office, the office of the national drug czar in Washington. So this is just a sort of a flavor of the breath. They, they really did amazing jobs getting these assignments and then fulfilling them. These uh, activities were augmented by two seminars two live seminars face-to-face -face when we used to do that, one in the, at about the midterm of the program and one at the conclusion. So one of the things that I find striking as you describe the components of the program is, is how practical the assignments and components are. I mean, these are things that would actually uh, – literally facilitate improvement within those offices in a meaningful way. And these are things that, that officers deal with and offices deal with on a daily basis. But the other thing that you're describing, sort of in the larger scheme of things, it's it's about thinking about leadership in a different way. And I think we tend to think about leadership development uh, within an organization as an opportunity for promotion. Right. But I think it's fair to say that the way you are thinking about leadership, getting oneself ready to be promoted is really just a small part. First of all, let me go back to a great observation you made, which was the practicality, or I would say even more specifically, the connection to the system. This was a very important part of the success of the program. It wasn't purely academic. It wasn't purely conceptual. It was very much tied to the realities of the current system. In terms of the promotions, you make a really valid point. It wasn't, we never promised that. And one participant told me, Dr. Siegel, what I learned is I never want to be chief. <laughs> and I said, you know, it's better to learn that now than once you're in the position, right? So what we were focusing on, Mark, is the notion leadership is accessible to all of us. A lot of 
probation pretrial services staff, I imagine before this program, did not look at themselves with the rubric leader in their mind. And yet, this program, I believe, transformed them. For example, accomplishing an improvement project required not only their ideas and their abilities, but it required them to persuade others in their districts, including their chiefs, to go along with this, to implement it. And so this itself is a form of leadership. How do you mobilize people around a common vision? How do you align effort that goes into the creation of these reports and and projects? How do you identify a placement? How do you negotiate with an outside agency? I mean, these are all things that leaders have to do. And I think, in a sense, this was a laboratory within which people got practice, a crucible of leadership, if you will, in a practical way to achieve something. I'm Mark Sherman, and my guest is Dr. Michael Siegel. We're talking about leadership in U.S. probation and pretrial services. After a short break, I'll dig a little deeper with Dr. Siegel about how leadership development has expanded over the years and the implications for the system. And as we head into the break, you'll hear what graduates of the Leadership Development Program have to say about it. You're listening to Off Paper. Hi, Dr. Siegel. This is John Marshall, Chief Probation Officer from the District of Rhode Island. Wanted to thank you and the LDP program for a lot of things. One particular area was thinking outside the box and being creative when selecting my TDY. With that encouragement, I secured a spot with the Boston Red Sox. And while they didn't put me in left field, I took my dismay. Uh, It was an incredible experience. So I appreciate you making a boyhood dream become reality. And to you personally, uh, you've been such a great national role model for all of us with your passion for learning and development. Hello, this is Mike Albert, Chief USPO, Southern District of Iowa, graduate of the LDP program in 2004. The most important thing I learned from the program was that it was the gold standard for leadership training in the federal judiciary. It was not easy to get into, and when you were selected, it was a huge sense of accomplishment and a great honor. Once you were selected, the most important thing about the program was that it instilled in you a personal obligation that your leadership contribution was destined to someday improve your district and the federal probation system. The most important thing I learned from Dr. Siegel was to have huge, audacious goals and not settle for the status quo and that anything was possible. Hi, this is Barb Zarek, Chief Probation Officer in the Southern District of Illinois. And, you know, when I think about LDP, one thing that I remember when he really worked with us on establishing our circle of influence. And at the time, I didn't even know I had a circle, but I remember um, him talking about how to grow that circle by networking, demonstrating good, solid character, championing change and working together for solutions and growing others. And I think as a, as a leader, Dr. Siegel has really demonstrated this vast circle of influence over my entire career, you know, since I met him. Um, And he's always demonstrated a very genuine interest in others. And those are very admirable traits. 
So I'll, I'll never forget LDP and Dr. Siegel. And when I think of that circle of influence, I think about the things that he has demonstrated over the years and what he taught us in that program. Hey, folks. Are you a new officer looking for training and resources to help you understand and perform your job effectively? Or perhaps you're a training specialist or supervisor responsible for the in-district onboarding and training of new officers. The coronavirus pandemic has made onboarding, training, and education in this virtual world especially challenging. And even aside from the pandemic, districts always have been responsible for creating and managing a significant amount of that training. To help new officers and local trainers access the resources they need, FJC Probation and Pretrial Services Education has created educational opportunities and resources for new U.S. Probation and Pretrial Services officers on FJC.DCN, accessible from the Probation and Pretrial Services Education homepage. If you're a new officer, you'll learn more about the federal judiciary's training and education infrastructure, what will be expected of you in terms of professional excellence and competence, and what programs and resources are available to you through the FJC, the AO's Probation and Pretrial Services Office, including the Federal Probation and Pretrial Academy, and the United States Sentencing Commission. If you're a training specialist, supervisor, or other staff member involved with the in-district onboarding and training of new officers, you'll find programs and resources that can be incorporated into your district's onboarding and training program. There are resources for all new officers, as well as resources specifically for new pretrial services officers, new pre-sentence officers, and new post-conviction supervision officers. Accessing this information is simple. Just visit fjc.dcn, choose Probation and Pretrial Services Education from the Education drop-down menu, then click on Educational Opportunities and Resources for New U.S. Probation and Pretrial Services Officers, and you'll be on your way. FJC Probation and Pretrial Services Education. Discover your excellence. Michael, you created the Leadership Development Program about 25 years ago. Uh, Since then, one of the things that's become very clear to those of us who work with officers is that leadership is now baked into probation and pretrial services work so much so that it's commonplace to hear about districts that have initiated their own leadership programs. Or about district leaders who take their management teams regularly to places like Gettysburg or other similar historic sites to study models of leadership. How do you think that sort of organizational evolution affects the work officers do on a daily basis? I think what it does, it it gives people a sense of empowerment and a sense of being able to influence the system, to have a larger voice in the organization and to be interested in the whole organization. Um, One of the things I stress with chief judges who I'm working with now on leadership issues is you really can't any longer just see your own chambers. You have to see the whole institution, the whole organization, which goes way beyond your chambers. And you have to get familiar with things you never thought you would. Security, uh, automation, IT, you know, procurement, all these things that a lot of leaders don't really want to sully their hands. But in fact, these are very important uh, aspects of what you have to do as a leader to at least be aware of what's going on in these areas. And I, I am familiar with several local leadership programs. I'm, I know there's, uh, they have one in Florida Southern. 
I've been talking to the people in Hawaii who have just kicked off uh, a program. I know Missouri Eastern, Minnesota, Idaho, and I think that's a really tremendous feature and promise for the judiciary in the future. When we talk about leadership, we're talking about it at various levels. What does leadership look like when you're a line officer, for example, versus a supervisor, a deputy, or especially a chief? What I like to think about, Mark, is that people infused with a leadership culture orbit more around mission than they orbit around ego or around position. And I think that positions can box us in. Positions can limit our thinking. Uh, Positions can inhibit us from offering creative ideas, which the organization needs. They need to hear from us. And it also limits, in fact, our power. Now, power is an element of leadership that a lot of people want to avoid. They don't like to talk about it as if it's a dirty word. But power is inevitable, in my opinion, in leadership. The question is, what kind of power? There are different kinds of power. There is the power that comes from position. But you know something? I want to remind you of a statement that was made by a former chief judge from the Sixth Circuit who said, when they handed me the reins of power, nobody told me there was nothing attached. (laughs) In other words, the position itself cannot do anything. Especially when we're talking about people at the judicial officer level and at Article Three judges, because they they are in themselves independent actors, even within the same court. I think that's I know that's something that folks who work within the federal judiciary most realize, but but some don't, and certainly folks outside the federal judiciary don't even really get that concept. There's hard power, which, as you just correctly indicated. There's very little of in the judiciary, particularly from judge to judge. Uh, All the district judges are appointed for life and appellate. And so what power, what hard power do they really have? And so the second kind of power, which is a concept that actually Joseph Nye, who was on one of our podcasts, developed, is the concept of soft power, persuasion, you know, motivation. It's so much more important, so much more useful And then, of course, there's smart power, which is a combination of hard power and soft power. So I want us to think really of our leaders as our colleagues. They're they're on the same team. And I know I would I would honestly say that many of the probation pretrial chiefs that I've met could be characterized as servant leaders without a doubt. They are there to, to be of service to their staff and to their communities. Some of that is about how an organization operates horizontally, and some of it is about how an organization operates vertically. And so, as you know, in U.S. Probation and Pretrial Services, we've developed a set of competencies for line officers, 10 competencies, one of which is called everyday leadership. And it seems to me that, you know, if one is a line officer and even a senior line officer, what does everyday leadership and the use of power look like for them? You're right. There's little chance for hard power. And I, I, always, I always advise people, don't get in a power struggle with your boss. You're not going to win. <laughs> You're not going to win. Right? You're yeah. not going to win. So that's not the way to go. 
So I think what you're really asking is how do I exert influence in all directions and particularly upward if I'm a line officer? How do I exert influence in everyday leadership? And I think the answer is several things. One is expertise, whether it's in sentencing guidelines, in treatment programs, you know, in supervision policies, whatever it is. I think expertise does a lot to build your credibility and your influence. Reliability. Do what you said you're going to do. Always builds influence. Purpose builds influence. What's my purpose? I have a very strong purpose. I stand for excellence in what I do, and that's going to be influential. Doggedness. Being able to follow through. Being able to stick with something that's really difficult. Grit. What we called grit. We also interviewed Angela Duckworth on grit. And that has a lot of power, I think, in exerting influence in an everyday leadership capacity. So these are some ideas on how leaders, people in that position can be very influential. To me, that's all about professionalism. Mm -hmm. So that when you are engaged in a conversation with folks who are in supervisory positions over you, or with a judge, if you're in a meeting with a judge, you know, what you are bringing a particular kind of a presence to that conversation to maximize the ability of an individual to use soft power, to be able to persuade. So so I think that's that's very valuable. Let me add one thing to the mix, Mark, and that is emotional intelligence. The ability to manage, to understand and manage your own emotions and to understand and manage the emotions of others. This is a critical part of leadership and of influence. And it transcends all the other things we talked about. It is so vitally important to to successful leadership. It's fascinating. Great stuff. And I want to talk to you more about that uh, when we come back. But we're going to take another short break. When we do return, Dr. Siegel and I will talk about some common misconceptions about leadership. We'll also discuss the future of leadership in U.S. probation and pre-child services and more generally in the federal judiciary. But first, here's what some other folks who've studied leadership under the tutelage of Dr. Siegel have to say about what he taught them about professionalism. My name is Suzanne Mingledorf. I'm the Chief Probation Officer in the Southern District of Georgia. And the most important thing I learned from Dr. Siegel was um, quite simply that the value and importance of listening to others, truly listening. Uh, I noticed um, every time I had a conversation with Dr. Siegel during the course of LDP that he was exceedingly attentive and dialed in and focused on what I was saying to him. Um, He gave me very, very incisive feedback, and he just really just made me so, so valued and so heard. And I noticed that he he interacted with everyone in just the same way. It just really drove home to me the importance of that as a leadership quality and and a terrific way to engage staff and make them feel valued. Hi, this is Susan Smalley. I'm the Chief U.S. Probation Officer in the District of New Jersey. I'm a graduate of the 2001 LDP class. I learned from Dr. Siegel in the LDP program the importance of the role of being a visionary leader, a good communicator, a good listener, being balanced, and having courage. Hello, I'm Lori Murphy, Assistant Division Director for Executive Education here at the FJC. You may have heard my voice hosting another Center podcast exploring executive leadership, 
through the scholarship of some of the most renowned voices in the field. We've changed the name of our podcast from Executive Edge to In Session Leading the Judiciary to sharpen our focus and better reflect our listeners' needs. But don't worry, it's the same content listeners have come to expect, and episodes will still be available in the same podcast feed just under the new name. So keep an eye out for the next episode of In Session Leading the Judiciary, featuring Michael Lewis, best-selling author of Moneyball, The Big Short, and The Blind Side. If you haven't checked us out yet, I hope you will. Search for In Session on fjc.dcn or on common podcast apps like Apple, Google, and Spotify. And don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. This is Off Paper. I'm Mark Sherman, and I'm talking with FJC Senior Education Specialist, Dr. Michael Siegel, about leadership. Michael, I want to ask you about something that we often hear from skeptics about leadership development, and that is that you can't teach leadership. Either a person knows how to lead or they don't. So when you hear that, and based on your experience as a teacher of leaders, what do you think? That's a great question, and I tend to reject that notion that leaders are born, not made. And I have actually science to back me up, because um, we've been using a book by two authors named Jim Kuzis and Barry Posner, who wrote a book called The Leadership Challenge, and we've had a chance to work with Jim Kuzis quite a bit. In fact, he's coming back to, to do some webinars with us. And Jim says that they always get asked that question, leaders born or made, right? So they decided to subject it to an empirical analysis, and they developed measurements of leadership potential, and they surveyed thousands and thousands of people. And here's what they found. Guess the percentage of people who have zero leadership potential. There's a specific answer. It is 0.0036. People have zero leadership potential. Now, that doesn't mean everybody else has 100%, but it does mean everybody has some if they're willing to develop it and if they're willing to learn about it. Because it's not something that happens automatically. I've heard the expression he's or she's a born leader, and I'm a little skeptical about that because I believe there are experiences and training people have to get in order to become great leaders. So that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I wonder, though, whether, um, you know, sort of along the continuum of, of, of leadership potential, it seems to me that there are particular characteristics or qualities often that are developed early in one's life. There are particular perhaps born leaders, but that needs to be improved upon through training, through education. So I'm wondering, you know, what some of those characteristics or qualities of, of character are kind of necessary, not necessarily sufficient, but are necessary to enable that leadership in oneself evolve. So what are some of the qualities I look for? Purpose. I talked about this earlier. Uh, do I have a sense of vision of purpose, what Simon Sinek calls the why. And I know a lot of probation pretrial officers have have dealt with Simon Sinek's videos and the question of the why. And it's such an important question. 
it's 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 really uh, the foundation in my mind of leadership. What's my purpose? You know, to go back to an earlier point about position, Gandhi had no position, but he had a strong purpose. And man, was he influential, right? So purpose is the first thing I look for. The second thing I look for, Mark, is humility. The idea that, um, you know, I am just another person. I'm another human being who's trying to accomplish some things. I'm no better than anybody else. I'm trying my hardest to, to be successful and to lead a group of people to achievement. This kind of humility is is really, really important. And it's and it's important in the following way to, to tie back to something I said earlier. I talked about expertise, right? Often experts are not humble. Research shows that the more expertise somebody has in a subject, the less open-minded they are in that subject. Sure. Okay, which means their capacity to learn has been blocked because they already think they know everything. Okay? And the third thing that goes along with what I earlier said, curiosity. Am I curious about my surroundings? Am I curious about how things could be done better? Am I curious about this program that I'm running? How's it going? What's the effect on people? Am I curious about my staff? How are they doing in this pandemic? My God, I can't see them, but I can reach out to them. But I'm curious. I really am curious about if they're okay, if they're safe, etc. I want to, I, I, I bothered to write down a, a quote from Einstein, which I want to share from you. Please. And um, later in his life, Einstein said to a friend of his, people like you and me never grow old. We never cease to stand like curious children before the great mystery into which we were born. So this notion of being curious to the very end, I think is a mark of leadership. In my study of presidents, I find great variation in the ability of a president of the United States to negotiate, to persuade, or to think that he even has to, or she someday has to persuade. Uh, this is another skill of leadership often overlooked. So, Michael, earlier in the conversation, you also referred to and, and talked a little bit about emotional intelligence. And I, I really think that this is, in addition to the things you've already mentioned, an important characteristic that is worth spending a little bit more time on, because that isn't necessarily something that comes naturally to everybody and is often largely dependent on one's earlier experiences in life, mm -hmm. it is something that can be learned. Many, many years ago, they used to tell MBA students, park your emotions at the door, as if people could go to work and, and leave their emotions outside. Well, I think we all know that's not exactly true. People bring their whole self to work, and leaders have to be aware of that. Now, we all know very, very smart people who don't succeed. And I think one of the main reasons they don't succeed is a lack of emotional intelligence. They just can't work with other people productively. In fact, the Center for Creative Leadership, uh, in a major study of executive derailment, executives with high potential who derailed, 
found that the main reason was their inability to get along with other people, which I summarize as emotional intelligence. And this is so important to highly credentialed, successful people like we have in the judiciary, but who also have to think that you can't always operate from the conceptual level. You have to sometimes operate based on your emotions, and you have to tune into that, both in yourself and in others. Fascinating and important. I, I, I want to sort of move on to another concept you've referred to earlier, and that is this concept of servant leadership. And I, I mentioned that because you also noted that an important characteristic of leadership is humility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would like to talk more about that. So, you know, there's a model of leadership in our society, and we've seen it lately very clearly among leaders in the public sector call it pompousness or pridefulness or swagger, right? That seems to appeal to a large number of people. They admire it and actually view humility and related values as weakness. But you and other experts on leadership, as you've been talking about, say that humility is a strength. I believe you describe it as a passion for anonymity in your upcoming podcast with Michael Lewis. That statement comes from... One of FDR's advisors, Louis Brownlow, who uh, headed up a commission, the Brownlow Commission, on how to reform the executive branch, said that that people who serve the president should have a passion for anonymity. Okay, and you're right. We've seen quite the opposite uh, lately, and and for a while because of our celebrity culture. You know, Jim Collins in his book Good to Great finds what he calls level five leaders. That's the highest form of leadership. And, and everybody thinks you have to be charismatic, as you said, pompous, ostentatious, etc. And what Jim Collins finds is quite different based on his massive study of leaders. The level five leaders, the greatest leaders, they are humble, quiet, and determined. Humble, quiet, and determined. The determined is the... Is the perhaps the most important word, because these people aren't wishy-washy. They're not like a carpet, a rug that you walk over. They're very determined, but they feel the best way to get results from people is, is through humility and through believing in their staff and being a servant to their staff, as you said earlier. Indeed. And I want to sort of pursue that a little bit more kind of along the same lines. When we see leaders portrayed in the popular culture, we tend to think about them as gregarious, as extroverts. But you're saying it's not true that to be a leader, you have to be an extrovert. In fact, you just described humility, quiet, determination, that these are the characteristics of good leadership. So one need not be a sort of a gregarious, backslapping, you know, extrovert in order to lead well. Absolutely. It's true. Um, although I'm not totally dismissing the gregariousness and the backslapping, particularly in the uh, presidency or in Congress, the, they are still important, but so is humility and so is purpose. So, you know, we do celebrate extroverts, but actually we have quite a few successful introverts. In fact, Einstein, who I mentioned earlier, was an introvert. There's a great book by Susan Cain called The Power of Quiet, 
about what introverts bring to our culture, what they do as leaders. And, and there's a lot to be said for that. So I think it's a fallacy to assume that all great leaders are extroverts. So, Michael, your work on leadership in the federal courts extends beyond probation and pretrial services. You've worked with judges and other judicial stakeholders who are at the top of the food chain, so to speak. So I'm interested to hear your observations about what leadership looks like generally in the third branch and what you've learned about it. I have seen the development of leadership capability and acumen in the judiciary. I see more and more chief judges, more and more chief probation, pretrial services officers, more and more clerks of court who have a yearning, who have a curiosity about how can I be a better leader, who are involved, for example, in soliciting feedback, like even 360 degree feedback from their staffs. How can I improve as a leader? How can I do this? And, and, and have the humility and the purpose that we've been talking about I think it augurs well for the system, and I have to say the system has shown incredible strength during the last several years that we've lived through with preserving and protecting the rule of law, and uh, I, I take my hat off to the brave judicial officers all over the country and the probation and pretrial services officers who have continued to do their job under very, very trying circumstances. As a country, we're experiencing a very difficult period in our history right now, and I think it's been interesting to observe how leaders within the federal judiciary, sort of as you've been talking about, Michael, uh, have been dealing with the challenges of the present moment. I mean, the federal courts are in the thick of all of it, dealing with the pandemic, navigating cases emanating from social unrest that arose in the wake of George Floyd's death managing litigation stemming from the November 2020 election, and now holding hearings and making decisions involving participants in the January 6th storming of the U.S. Capitol building. From a leadership perspective, how would you assess the federal judiciary's performance so far? I would assess it as very strong. And and frankly, I moved now more to my political science background to say that I think we're protected by the independence of the judiciary. And the fact that you can't fire a federal judge for a decision you don't like. And uh, this is uh, such an important protection for the rule of law, in my opinion. And I know there's discussions about, you know, maybe lowering the, the age, you know, or the permanency of, of uh, lifetime tenure, etc. Yet I still think that some period of lifetime tenure, even if it's shorter than what it is now, is absolutely vital to preserving the rule of law. And, and I will tell you that our judges, I believe, have been very courageous in standing up for the rule of law, even under attack, even under a lot of unhappiness in the community. And, and judges have talked to me about that, uh, saying, oh, I'm now very unpopular in this part of my state, you know, mm-hmm. because I made a ruling about the voting, et cetera. But yet they're doing it, and they're, uh, they're doing it without hesitation. And so I think there's a lot to be said. I would say uh, we, sh- we could be proud of our branch of government, frankly. Indeed. You know, last thing before we wrap up, kind of looking down the road over the next five or ten years, what are other characteristics that you think will be necessary for leaders 
or people who aspire to leadership in the federal judiciary to have, you know, what in addition you think folks should be able to bring to the table? Yeah, the one thing I think people need to bring is adaptability. I think people need to understand that as a wise person once said, the future isn't what it used to be. We really can't predict the future. Who could have predicted the past year? I mean, you know, it, it, it's almost impossible. Who knows what's coming? But leaders who are adaptable, who are nimble, who are thoughtful, who are curious, who are humble, the things we've talked about, I think we'll be able to handle whatever's coming down the road. So that's the best I can do at this point. Well, I appreciate you looking into your crystal ball. And let me tell you, Dr. Michael Siegel, it's just been a great pleasure to be able to talk to you. And thank you so much for talking with us. Very much a mutual pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Our guest has been Dr. Michael Siegel, Senior Education Specialist at the Federal Judicial Center and perhaps the federal judiciary's leading expert on leadership. The FJC offers leadership development opportunities through both our Executive Education Group and our Management and Professional Development Education Group. So if you're a federal judiciary employee, check out those opportunities at fjc.dcn. Off Paper is produced by Shelley Easter. The program is directed by Craig Bowden. Our program coordinator is Anna Glachkova. And don't forget, you can subscribe to Off Paper on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, and the program is now also available on Spotify. Now, I'm going to sign off in a minute, but don't go anywhere, because you can hear more of what graduates of the Leadership Development Program have to say about what they learned from the program and from Dr. Siegel. But first, you're going to hear a musical tribute and send-off for the ever-wonderful, soon-to-be-extraordinarily-missed Dr. Michael Siegel. I'm Mark Sherman. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Hi, Dr. Siegel. I still have my binder, my binder, my binder. Save my binder for over 15 years. And, 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 and anything was possible, possible. Dr. Siegel, you're an incredible teacher and you're an incredible leader. Dr. Siegel, a visionary leader, a good communicator, a good listener. Good friend, passion for learning, speaking truth to power. Michael, Michael. is a gold standard Dr. Siegel. Always humble, always caring. And always encouraging, encouraging, encouraging. Dialed in, valued. Better leaders and better human beings. Some people have it and others don't. Thank you. Thank you. I can't thank you enough. Certainly going to be missed. Miss you. We will miss you, Dr. Siegel. Michael, congratulations. Congratulations. Travel and drink good wine. Have huge, audacious goals. The best. You definitely left your mark. Michael, may you have a healthy and happy life. Education should never end. Thank you again. My name is Suzanne Mingledorf. I'm the Chief Probation Officer in the Southern District of Georgia. And the most important thing I learned from Dr. Siegel was um, quite simply that the value and importance of listening to others, truly listening. Uh, I noticed um, every time I had a conversation with Dr. Siegel during the course of LDP that he was exceedingly attentive and dialed in and focused on what I was saying to him. Um, he gave me very, very incisive 
feedback. I mean, just really just made me feel so valued and so heard. And I noticed that he, he interacted with everyone in just the same way, which is really admirable and, and as we all, all know, really not um, not so easy to do. Um, and it just really drove home to me the importance of that as a leadership quality and a, and a terrific way to engage staff and make them feel valued. And, you know, we can't always say yes to everything they want and um, can't make things go their way all the time. But I think a lot of times we can ease their disappointment if we simply truly listen to them and um, consider their perspective. And Dr. Siegel helped me with that. So I just wanted to share that. Thank you. Hi, my name is Roberto Cadero, and I am currently the Chief Pretrial Services Officer in the Eastern District of New York for the past 10 years. Graduated from the 9th LDP class in 2009. The most important lesson learned in the FJC's Leadership Development Program was to explore my weaknesses I, and, and how to work to fill those gaps and become more well-rounded. LDP certainly pushed me to gain better personal insight and, and in a funny way, getting to know me better. Dr. Siegel's years of experience, research, and of course exposure to leaders across many fields was a real benefit to me. His discussions and general free exchange of ideas during the workshops had a, a, a lasting um, impact on how I began to view the role of the leader. Often leadership is sometimes misunderstood as a natural quality and some people have it and others don't. Dr. Siegel taught his students that leadership skills can be learned and achieved with enough discipline and practice. Congratulations to Dr. Siegel and his career, and he's certainly going to be missed. Good afternoon. This is Randy Canal, and I'm the Chief U.S. Probation and Pretrial Officer in the District of Maryland. I graduated from Dr. Siegel's Leadership Development Program in 2005, and I learned so many valuable things during that two- to three-year period especially in regard to approachability and effective communication. Dr. Siegel consistently emphasized that as a leader, it's important for your staff members to feel comfortable approaching you to ask questions and provide suggestions. And when communicating, he advised that it's critical to be open, honest, and transparent. Your staff may not always agree with a decision or what you have to say, but they will certainly appreciate that you took the time to listen to their thoughts, feelings, and feedback. This approach helps build your credibility as a leader, and it leads to a stronger, more cohesive unit. I've always found this advice from Dr. Siegel to be very helpful. And Dr. Siegel, I can't thank you enough for everything you have done for the federal probation and pretrial system and the entire federal court system. You're an incredible teacher, and you're an incredible leader. You will certainly be missed by everyone. I wish you all the best in retirement. Thank you again. Hello, my name is Mike Fitzpatrick. I am the Chief United States Probation Officer in the Southern District of New York. In regard to answer question one, what is the most important thing you learned in LDP? I'd have to say that it was speaking truth to power. I entered this program when I was a specialist in the District of New Jersey, and I wrote a paper analyzing the growth of our agency and it required me to have a very difficult conversation with my chief pretrial services officer who had been there from the start and maybe uh, not had seen things the same way that I did. The most important thing I learned from Michael Siegel is that education should never end. There is nobody in the judiciary starting from a new hire all the way up to 
the chief judge who cannot learn from others. And Michael has really instilled that in us. So, Michael, congratulations, and I hope you appreciate the impact that you've had on our system. Hi, this is Barb Zarek, Chief Probation Officer in the Southern District of Illinois. And, you know, when I think about LBP, one thing that I remember, well, first of all, I have to laugh because I must share that I still have my binder. So the program was very impactful to me, enough to save my binder for over 15 years. Um, it was really one of my first exposures to FJC, and I learned so much from that program and so much from Dr. Siegel. But one thing I remember from the program was when he really worked with us on establishing our circle of influence. And at the time, I didn't even know I had a circle, but I remember um, him talking about how to grow that circle by networking, demonstrating good, solid character, championing change and working together for solutions and growing others. And I think as a, as a leader, Dr. Siegel has really demonstrated this vast circle of influence over my entire career, you know, since I met him. Um, and he's always demonstrated a very genuine interest in others. And those are very admirable traits. So I'll, I'll never forget LDP and Dr. Siegel. And when I think of that circle of influence, I think about the things that he has demonstrated over the years and what he taught us in that program. Um, and just as a side note, Dr. Siegel, I'd like to say thank you for everything you've done for, for me and for our system. I wish you the best in your retirement. You certainly deserve it. I'll miss your hearty laugh, and um, I truly hope that you are able to travel and drink good wine, and I hope our paths cross soon at some point again. Thank you for everything, and we will miss you. Hi, Dr. Siegel. This is John Marshall, Chief Probation Officer from the District of Rhode Island. Wanted to thank uh, you and the LDP program for a lot of things, lessons learned then, uh, and that continue to help me now. Uh, one particular area was thinking outside the box and being creative when selecting my TDY. With that encouragement, I secured a spot with the Boston Red Sox. And while they didn't put me in left field, I took my dismay. Uh, it was an incredible experience. So I appreciate you making a boyhood dream become reality. And to you personally, uh, you've been such a great national role model for all of us with your passion for learning and development and for investing in my own progress in the system. Certainly no easy task, but I've appreciated the time spent, the opportunities provided, and uh, I'm sure going to miss you. Best of luck and hope you come back and visit. Take care. Hello, this is Marcus Holmes, Chief U.S. Probation Officer for the Northern District of Illinois Probation Office. I was in Leadership Development Program Class Number 13, I believe. There were many lessons learned as I went through LDP, uh, and I especially appreciated the relationships I developed while in the program with Dr. Siegel and the other participants. I would always try to make a point of stopping in and saying hello while visiting the AO or the SJC and was in town. Uh, the one thing that resonates with me even to this day was Dr. Siegel's pre uh, presentation on the past presidents. He spoke in depth about the leadership styles and approaches taken by some of the more successful presidents and the leadership styles and pitfalls that could be attributed to some of the presidents that had a little more difficulty in their roles. 
as I began taking on leadership roles, particularly uh, as deputy chief and, and currently as chief probation officer, I would take away some of the things he messaged about the successful presidents, such as they were excellent communicators, or they surrounded themselves with you know, cabinet members who were much more knowledgeable than they were. There was no ego insecurity in that aspect. These were all great lessons learned while working in the judiciary. So I just wanted to take this time to thank Dr. Siegel for all the contributions to our system. You've definitely left your mark and helped us become better leaders and better human beings. Thanks again. My name is Mark Quarles, and I'm the Chief U.S. Probation Officer in the Southern District of Mississippi. I learned a lot about good principles of leadership in the LDP program led by Dr. Michael Siegel. Probably the greatest lesson learned from this was to surround yourself with good people and give them the credit for their work. Our staff need to know that you truly care about them and have their best interest at heart. Well, I learned much from what Dr. Siegel taught us in the leadership development program. I learned even more from his example. He was always humble, always caring, and always encouraging. There was much that this accomplished man could have bragged about, but he never did. Yes, Dr. Siegel taught us great principles of leadership with his mouth, but he taught me even more with the way he walked and conducted himself. We will miss you, Dr. Siegel, and thanks for your labors and your example. It has truly made a wonderful difference. Hello, this is Mike Albert, Chief USPO, Southern District of Iowa, graduate of the LDP program in 2004. So I just want to tell you the most important thing I learned from the program was that it was the gold standard for leadership training in the federal judiciary. It was not easy to get into, and when you were selected, it was a huge sense of accomplishment and a great honor. Once you were selected, the most important thing about the program was that it instilled in you a personal obligation that your leadership contribution was destined to someday improve your district and the federal probation system. The most important thing I learned from Dr. Siegel was to have huge, audacious goals and not settle for the status quo and that anything was possible. I believe that Dr. Siegel is owed a great debt we cannot begin to repay. He is a pillar of our system, good friend, and someone I admire and respect very deeply. Congratulations, Dr. Siegel and the FJC. Thank you. Hi, this is Susan Smalley. I'm the Chief U.S. Probation Officer in the District of New Jersey. I'm a graduate of the 2001 LDP class. I learned from Dr. Siegel in the LDP program the importance of the role of being a visionary leader, a good communicator, a good listener, being balanced, and having courage. Beyond all that I've learned from the LDP program, I will always value the friendships I made with all of my classmates, some of whom went on to become chiefs as well, with whom I'm still in contact. I want to thank Dr. Siegel and his staff for all he has done to make this program a success and a valuable building block in the successful careers of so many past, present, and future chiefs. Congratulations, Dr. Siegel. You've left an indelible mark on the probation and pretrial system. Wishing you all the very best on your retirement. May you have a healthy, healthy and happy life with your friends and family. Thank you.